Welcome to Today on Broadway for Thursday, November 16th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Timonini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, on a scale of 1 to 10, how upset were you that People Magazine selected Blake Shelton as the sexiest man alive? You know... (laughs) I have actually a story about this, and we didn't actually talk. (laughs) Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So, you know, my wife go, you know, my wife's a big Adam Levine fan and you have now met me. So you can, you can vouch for this, that many people confuse me and Adam Levine. Absolutely. Spit and image. You could do a a gender reversed revival of uh, Sideshow any day now. Exactly. Uh, And uh, I have a friend that looks like Blake Shelton. So I'm always joking about that. You know, we should go and do our own version of that show the the voice or whatever it is mm-hmm. and the voice anyway the long and the short of it is is that you know i think that uh blake shelton's probably a good looking guy <laughs> okay uh well I, that's a longer story i was just using it as a transition to this story but apparently when there's a lot of people online who are very upset about that i think we talked about that the other day but Apparently, People Magazine uh, releases other sexiest men for different categories, <laughs> and I don't know, it's whatever. Just like, it's just like uh, kids' soccer where everybody gets a trophy. <laughs> are you and I also, are we the sexiest people in podcasting? I think we no. are. No, we're definitely not. <laughs> um, but we are uh, in terms of the sexiest people who do a daily theater podcast. Um, that's that's a definitive oh, okay. result there. Yeah. But anyway, okay. so they released their uh, sexiest Broadway performer, and that went to one Ben Platt as if the uh, <clears throat> honors and accolades didn't just completely uh, keep piling up for him. Not only did he get that news, although he probably knew it was officially announced yesterday, but also when Hillary Clinton visited Dear Evan Hansen last night and got some FaceTime with Ben before he departs the production. So, you know, it's it's probably a good time to be Ben Platt one way or the other. It's always a good time to be a Ben Platt, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Anybody with a last name Platt, it's probably a good time to be. So uh, I have a quick story to tell you. I, I, I live with people who do not like me. <laughs> okay. What happened? You know, Laura and Charlotte and Justin... I, I walk in last night very late and they're all sitting on the couch looking very guilty with chocolate chip cookies all over their face. Oh. And I'm like, what's this? And they're like, somebody sent us schmackeries. Yeah. And I was like, when? And they were like, the other day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they got there on Monday. Uh... And, and, and today's Thursday. Yes. And, and, you know, they ate all the cookies. And yeah, so I'd that. like to thank you for sending the <laughs> schmackeries uh, delivers to uh, Broadway Radio Homes as well. Yes. You get your schmackeries by contacting schmackeries. They will deliver. <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> Sorry about that. Oh, no, not you. It's 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 these, it's these Benedict Arnolds that I live with, you know, that <laughs> ate, my, ate my cookies. Yeah. Sorry. If it was if it was pie, it would have been war. Oh, yeah. They would have been disowned. <laughs> So let's get to the news. First up in the news, the critics have their say on Latin history for morons. Yeah, James, this is a production we've obviously talked quite a bit about, Latin history for morons, which is written and performed by the one and only John Leguizamo, officially opened on Broadway last night at Studio 54. It 
is a strictly limited engagement, but how limited it is, we'll talk about here in a little bit. This show, one-man show, play, kind of combination thing, previously had productions at the Berkeley Rep out in California, and last year played off, or last season played off-Broadway at the Public Theater. Uh, it's directed uh, by one Tony Tacone, who's also did a lot of other one-person shows, including Carrie Fisher's Wishful Drinking. Uh, James, the reviews for this were, were pretty strong overall. Jesse Green from the New York Times said, quote, In the lectures, Mr. Leguizamo comes off as a cross between Howard Zinn and Professor Erwin Corey, look him up, drawing impossible pie charts and ribald diagrams on a chalkboard and then acting out a brutal history in ludicrous skits. The physical comedy, often verging on dance, is priceless. Matt Winman of AM New York said, The show was a tall order for Leguizamo to fill on his own, with overlapping tracks that include a slow and sentimental multi-character family drama, stand-up comedy, personal confessions, history, political criticism, and even an elaborate dance break. Okay. Uh, although one can appreciate the sincerity behind Leguizamo's emphasis on his family, his long-winded attempt to dramatize conversations with his son, wife, and daughter falls flat and weighs down the rest of the show, in which he interacts directly with the audience with flair, fervor, and ease. Sarah Holdren of, of Vulture wrote, quote, Plenty of plays are tackling issues of system failure, miseducation, and underrepresentation with dogged earnestness. And while the sprightly Latin history for morons has its fair share of sincerity, it's also got a leg up on some of its fellow pieces of socio-political theater, the unmistakable, irresistible sense of humor of its creator and star. James, apparently the production felt so good about these reviews, and honestly, they sent the press release out before the reviews came out, so they had an idea that this was going to go well, because this morning at 12.30 a.m., they announced that the show had been given a three-week extension and will now play through February 25th. Children of a Lesser God begins performances at Studio 54 on March 22nd. So I would imagine that if they're going to announce three weeks of extension, they're not going to add any more, but they maybe could fit one more week if they wanted to, but I would imagine that this is going to be the run for that. But I think overall the, the reviews were very good. Uh, you know, your friend Matt Winman had a little, you know, complaints about one of the sections, but overall everybody seemed to really enjoy this show. You know, the thing is, is that, you know, you should be able to bet on John Leguizamo. He's got such mm -hmm. a great track record. Uh, so I don't think that this is a too much of a risk for anybody right. for a smallish show that's uh, pretty self-contained and don't have to land a helicopter on stage, <laughs> that type of thing. Uh, or maybe you do. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, I think this is great. And um, we'll have to see when I, when I see it if I agree with Matt Windman's uh, controversy there. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm a big fan. All right. So next up in the news, uh, the chocolate factory will close in January. Yes. I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing from the ominous tone that you took in reading that headline, James. But yesterday, producers announced that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory will play its final Broadway performance on January 14th of 2018. The show will wrap up its run after 332 total performances previews and post-opening combined at the Lentfontaine Theater. James, obviously we wish Christian Borle and all of the cast and crew the best as we always do whenever a show closes, but I don't think there's going to be too many people broken up about this one closing after, you know, 300 and some odd performances. But it does open up another theater for the spring. Currently, the four houses without anyone for the second half of the season are the Hudson, 
the Lentfontaine, uh, the Niederlander, and the Walter Kerr. From the word on the street, I think that it's safe to say that the Honeymooners will be doing everything it can to take one of those houses. They might have one lined up already. We also still have Tracy Letts' The Minutes, which is currently playing at Steppenwolf in Chicago, and Brandon Jacob Jenkins' adaptation of An Enemy of the People. Those two last straight shows have already announced for Broadway this season, but don't have a house attached yet, so I don't know if those are still planning on coming in in the spring or not. It'll be interesting to see if the Donna Summer musical, Town, Head Over Heels, Dream Girls, or something completely off the radar, radar scoops up one of these houses because most of those theaters, James, that I mentioned are big enough to accommodate musicals with maybe uh, the Walter Kerr and the Hudson being on the smaller side for musicals and perhaps the larger side of houses that could bring in a straight play as well. Yeah, this traffic jam is is getting interesting. So, always does, uh, always does. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, maybe it's because we're just in the moment, but it seems like it's much more than in the past. Is it always this this trafficy? Well, I, you know, I, to kind of go down a, a little bit of a rabbit hole, I think the fact that the the social media attention to some of these shows that are getting out of town uh, tryouts yeah. is so much bigger. Uh-huh. There's so many more shows that we know would like to come to Broadway. And I think more people are using the Broadway bound tag uh, to try to market shows out in other places. Like the fact that Monsoon Wedding was calling it Broadway bound, like, I, I, you know, who knows? Maybe that one will come to Broadway. Maybe I'm completely misunderstanding the appeal of that show, but I can't imagine that thing ever coming to Broadway, you know? And so I think it might kind of be a combination of maybe this one is a little tighter than normal. And then maybe we just have a little bit easier access to other shows and knowledge about shows that might potentially be thinking about coming in. I think that's very astute. I think you're right. (laughs) Next up, showing casting news. Yeah, James, yesterday the Mark Gordon Company, which is a production company for film and television, announced that it will be producing and financing a feature film adaptation of the musical Come From Away. The show's writers Irene Sankoff and David Hain will adapt the screenplay themselves, and Entertainment One will handle distribution. This is obviously very early in the process. Very little work has actually been done, but I look forward, you know, seeing if this one actually comes together. These things often take years if they ever happen at all but um, I think this one would be an interesting one to see how they decide to translate it to the big screen Uh, James I don't see this being a big blockbuster kind of movie musical but maybe one that you know gets a nice limited release uh, like Hello Again did and you know something like um, the last five years got kind of a a fairly Mm -hmm. big video on demand release uh, but it'll be interesting to see what they what they do in being able to translate something that is very theatrical and of the stage to a big screen in whatever form they do. So come from a way, perhaps, uh, you know, the, the last five years did did the, all the festivals and they did really mm-hmm. well in the festivals. So maybe come from a way might follow that route or go some sort of uh, Netflix Broadway HD video on demand type of route. Uh, which is becoming a very lucrative market. Absolutely. Uh, that that's uh, great. I'm excited about that. And um, for those who can't get to New York or to some place in Canada to see it, <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm afraid to yeah. say any place specific. <laughs> yeah, just say Canada. All of Canada it, it All has of a Canada. chance to see it. Yeah, don't get specific yeah. We talked. We talked about Gretzky in depth this morning. My daughter. Uh, 
you know, wanted really? to know who the who the great one was. And oh, so uh, she said, who's the great one? I said, it's Wayne Gretzky, of course. Oh, oh, I thought you said Norbert Leo Butts. But OK, Wayne Gretzky's <laughs> fine. <laughs> all right. The play that goes wrong to launch a national tour. They are just busting James, all the norms here, aren't they? James, we are we are idiots. We are absolutely idiots. Although this one, I think we thought that this could have a good life, uh, but it's definitely smashing expectations here. But uh, yesterday it was announced that the longest running play on Broadway, <laughs> uh, the play that goes wrong, will launch a North American tour for the 2018-2019 season, including a five-week stop at the Amundsen Center in Los Angeles. The other cities for the tour will be announced in the coming months. Just as kind of an aside to this, um, um, Casey Mink, she's a writer for Backstage. She tweeted this reminder yesterday what? that the play that goes wrong has been running longer on Broadway than American Psycho, Shuffle Along, and Bright Star combined. So just put that into perspective about how long uh, this show that I've continually said I think will be the next one to close um, has been on Broadway. And apparently it's not closing ever. Um, so good for them. I hope that the show uh, will make its way down here to Orlando because I'd really like to see what it's got going on. Let me uh, uh, some- stop you there for a second. The most shocking thing in that whole section there is that backstage is still a thing. Yes, it's got a great uh, got great articles. They've got a new podcast called inside the envelope maybe um with jack smart who hosts that he's great casey mink is a writer from the day she recently did a great cover story on katrina link from the band's visit but yeah backstage is uh is still Ah, we have to go revisit that i thought that they had changed hands changed hands changed hands and stopped uh covering broadway Hmm. no they still very much do Okay. Ann Kaufman and Jeannie Tesari to be co-artistic directors for Off Center. Yeah, James, this is obviously following the sad and untimely death of Michael Friedman, who was the artistic director of the last season. Uh, But yesterday, New York City Center announced that the series, the Off Center series, previous artistic director Janine Tesori and award-winning director Ann Kaufman would serve as the co-artistic directors for the 2018 Encores Off Center season. Um, Obviously, Tesori had been the artistic director in the years leading up to last season. She left after the 2016 season as she wanted to focus on some other artistic endeavors. Obviously, she's a Tony-winning composer as well. But with the death of Michael Friedman earlier this year, um, she's going to step back in along with Ann Kaufman to get this season up and running. No word if they will continue after the 2018 season, uh, but the shows for that summer slate will be announced early next year. So as always, um, we are interested to see what they put up there as a couple things have gone from off center to Broadway. Um, but obviously this is another sad ramification of Michael Friedman's death, but something with a little more exciting that has to do with Sydney center yesterday. It was also announced that the legendary Academy award winner, Haley, Mills will lead the New York premiere of Party Face, a new comedy by Isabel Mahon and directed by Amanda Bierce at the venue from January 11th through April 8th. Mills is best known for the films Pollyanna and the original Parent Trap or, if you are of my generation, as Miss Bliss on the Saved by the Bell precursor Good Morning Miss Bliss. And just a little piece of trivia, uh, starting just one week after Party Face does, will be the new play Hangman by Martin McDonough, which, as we've previously discussed, 
will star Haley Mills' brother-in-law, cool writer Maxwell Caulfield. He's married to her sister, Juliette Mills, who was on the t- uh, the uh, daytime soap opera Passions. But anyway, I don't know what you're supposed to do with that information, James, but... Maybe Peter will ask it in a trivia question someday. (laughs) Um, But finally, uh, in this section, the Broadway League released the playing schedules for the Thanksgiving and Christmas holiday weeks as shows will be rearranging their schedules a bit. During the Thanksgiving week, some shows will play on Thanksgiving, while others will add a Friday matinee. 14 shows will be playing on Christmas Day itself, which is, I think, a perfect gift to give yourself to go see a Broadway show on Christmas. And during that week, alternate curtain times will be had by many shows, including some Friday matinees as well. All right. Uh, highlights from City Center's Brigadoon concert. Yeah, James, this is kind of our little recommendation as we close out our section of the show, but the Learner and Low Classic Brigadoon is playing at New York City Center right now, not like as we speak, but through the next few days. Um, and we got some highlights from it yesterday. Obviously, they feature the great Kelly O'Hara, Patrick Wilson, Asif Manvi, Stephanie J. Block, Robert Fairchild, and more. Uh, this started out as like a one-night gala. And then because of what a great cast they put together, they expanded it to have multi-production or multi-performances. So I'm sure maybe Peter or maybe Michael will get a chance to see it. Maybe they'll talk about it. But if you want to get some highlights and see this wonderful Learner and Low score, we have those in the show notes at broadwayradio.com. Uh, just let me throw something in here really quickly. Uh, Gimlet Media's Reply All podcast. Oh, so um, good does a little thing on Frozen, which it's related more to the movie than to the Broadway show, but to have four of the guys from Reply All sing Let It Go uh, on the podcast, I thought was pretty funny. And there's this really wild Tumblr blog. It's my favorite podcast. What? Other than ones we do. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Matt, you can be replaced. Uh, Daniela, do you want to uh, take over for us here? All right, Daniela, why don't you do the theater throwback? Hello, everybody. This is Daniela Parcell, and I am here with this week's theater throwback. Today we are going back to the Broadway opening of Merrily We Roll Along, which was on November 16, 1981. As I'm sure many of you know, this is one of the most beloved Broadway flops. Despite its killer creative team, it closed after just 16 regular performances at the Albin Theatre. Merrily has a book by George Firth and a score by Stephen Sondheim, and this original Broadway production was directed by Hal Prince. This was a seemingly fantastic team, especially given the recent success of the Sondheim-Prince partnership, Follies, Company, and Sweeney Todd being examples of that. However, they were unable to make this musical work, and it was torn apart by critics and audiences alike. Adapted from the Kaufman and Hart play of the same name, Merrily follows three best friends in their personal lives, professional lives, and their relationships with one another over the course of about 20 years. The catch is that the story is told backwards. We start a show in I believe it's 1976, when the protagonist, Franklin Shepard, is at the height of his fame as a composer and a Hollywood producer. His two friends, Charlie and Mary, are no longer his friends, and none of the three is particularly happy. We end the show in 1956, when the friends are at the beginning of their journeys, optimistic and with an idealistic hope for the future. 
This reverse chronological structure itself wasn't necessarily an issue. After all, the show has been revised and worked pretty well, more on that later. But this original production just wasn't well executed. Frank Rich of the New York Times heavily criticized the book especially, claiming that it abandoned emotional issues entirely as it moved further back in time. It was difficult to be interested in or even care about any of the characters. On top of that, it was just plain confusing, largely because of the cast. Everyone was extremely young, many of them teenagers, so the show began with a bunch of young, hopeful 17-year-olds pretending to be bitter, jaded 40-year-olds. This was great and in terms of, I guess, dramatic irony, but it just didn't work. These actors spent the majority of the show in non-age-appropriate roles, which I imagine felt pretty awkward and for people who didn't know the premise of the show going in, made very little sense. Throughout Marilee's preview period, word of mouth was pretty bad, so the team did push back opening a week and made a ton of changes. At some point, realistic costumes were scrapped and the characters wore shirts with their names on them. The actor playing Franklin Shepard was replaced, the choreographer was replaced, and scenes and songs were rewritten or dropped completely. But unfortunately, none of this could save the show. Reviews were bad, word of mouth was bad, and Marilee closed after just 16 performances. Since then, the show has been heavily revised and become a fan favorite. Personally, it is one of my favorite scores. There have been plenty of professional productions in the past decade, most notably uh, City Center Encores did a concert production in 2012, starring Colin Donnell, Celia Keenan-Bolger, and Lin-Manuel Miranda. The musical also just finished a pretty well-regarded run at Boston's Huntington Theatre Company. Also this week in history, on November 13, 1997, The Lion King, Disney's second Broadway musical, officially opened. On that same date in 2008, the Tony-winning musical Billy Elliot opened at the Imperial. And on November 15, 2009, the short-lived revival of Ragtime opened at the Neil Simon. On November 16, 1959, The Sound of Music opened at the Lunt Fontan, and on November 17, 2004, Oscar Eustace was named Artistic Director of the Public Theater. And finally, on November 18, 2008, Roadshow opened off-Broadway at the Public. I'm bringing this up because the original version of this show, which premiered in 2003 under the name Bounce, was actually the first time since Merrily that Hal Prince and Stephen Sondheim worked together on a show, so I just thought that was relevant and interesting. That is all I have for you guys today. Thank you for listening, um, and I will be back next week with another throwback. Thank you, Daniela. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at BWW Matt, and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Thursday with us. We're coming to you a little bit late in the morning this morning, and we will also come a little bit late to you on tomorrow morning, on Friday morning. But do check your feeds, and we'll talk to you then.